All righty. Calm down, calm down. Tremendous, tremendous. Man, that was great, great worship. Man, it was just super. You know, Ellington and I, we go back 20, almost 25, 20 plus years. We were ministering in the same town. He was a little younger, but he's always been Ellington right there. What a, what a blessing, man, to have him here and just this whole team and all that happens on a daily basis. Uh, this morning, we're going to go into uh, a portion of the Bible in Psalms chapter 2. So get your Bibles ready, get your phones ready, whatever you want, might use. Now, tomorrow, we were supposed to have uh, one of the greatest preachers in the whole planet here, um, Martha Tennyson, Mama Tennyson, was supposed to be here today and tomorrow. She got sick. She's going to be okay. Um, so she'll be back with us, but she could not come. We found out last week. So I said, I'll jump in on Thursday. And then I, I thought around the whole country, who did I want to have speak? We had somebody speak here two years ago from um, upstate New York in Albany, New York. His name is Pastor Buddy Cremines. And I called Buddy. I mean, it'd be very easy. We got people local. Why are you bringing in somebody from New York uh, State? Because uh, I wanted him to be able to speak. And it was going to be a special day. We're going to have students here from uh, checking out the school. So tomorrow, I typically speak on Thursdays. I'm doing, I, I mean, on Fridays, I'm doing Thursdays. Tomorrow is somebody you do not want to miss this guy. He tore this place apart in the best possible way. One of the great pastor leaders in America. So please, man, keep it on your schedule for tomorrow uh, with Pastor Buddy Cremines. Um, he'll be here for a great, great day. Hey, this morning, we're going to go to Psalms chapter 2. And I want to share a message in a teaching, on, it's brand new. I've never shared this in my whole life. Matter of fact, I usually don't bring this kind of extensive notes, but I, I wanna make sure I get this accurate because this really is absolutely brand new in my life. I've never, I don't think even when I was a pastor ever preached a message on this particular text. I'm sure I referenced it, but never really preached on uh, Psalms chapter two, uh, these 12 verses. And I've really been wrestling with why is everybody so angry right now? And the Lord began to show me the relationship between uh, anger and vanity. And I'm going to show you the relationship as to why I think our world is spinning out of control, the relationship between anger and vanity. Before I do that, though, uh, last night I was at the little apartment where we live, and I just was thinking about uh, the flaw that I have, you have it, I have it, people have it. I've seen this in people that communicate for a living. And I was thinking about Mary when the Lord spoke to her about her future, and it says she treasured in her heart the things she pondered them. She tucked them inside, and she put them in a place that could not be accessed by other people, and she didn't run outside and tell everybody. You know the famous story of Noah's uh, sons, when Noah gets drunk, and he's naked and drunk, and I, I don't know if you've ever walked in on your parent who's uh, passed out naked and drunk. I know maybe some have in this room, Praise the Lord that I didn't, I didn't see that, but some have seen that. The boys walk in. The first boy sees his dad naked and drunk, and the Bible says he, run, he ran outside and told everybody. The other two brothers walked in backwards and covered their father's nakedness. And it really is kind of two kinds of people. Those who have no discipline because they just run outside and we always tell everybody what we see. Now, in, in, in a positive way, there's also a way to apply this, not just in keeping negative things that we see about people confidential. 
Um, but in a positive way, sometimes we run outside and we just want to tell every revelation. So this isn't part of my message, but I just want to encourage you in your leadership about this idea of treasuring. So here's what I wrote. It's very difficult for a good communicator to treasure something in their heart. Their instinct is to distribute their insights as fast as possible. I strongly encourage you to resist that urge. Treasuring takes discipline. Not everything you hear from the Lord needs to go public, okay? So treasuring is a discipline, and I think it's what resources our inner life um, is that. I'm gonna toss this back to you, Josh, here you can. Please drop it, because I need a new phone. Bummer, gotta live with, that thing, live with that thing another day. Here's three more quick things about uh, kind of kingdom leadership just to kind of start our talk today with this. Um, three things I wanna remind you about your life, your future when it comes to sacred leadership because kingdom sacred leadership, it uses a lot of things that corporate America uses in leadership, but corporate America doesn't use really the secret sauce or the arsenal or the concepts that we understand as sacred leaders. So leadership, you can stand up in front of a business or a company and talk leadership to athletes and all that kind of stuff. And you can find common ground that applies both to the Christian context and people who are not Christian. But there's a whole level and a whole dimension which separates us from just natural leadership. And it's wisdom and it's insight and it's, it's several things. So when I talk about leadership, I don't wanna feed the beast of just saying, hey, there's no difference between Apple Computer or Google and, and North Central University. There's a vast difference between that. There's a vast difference between North Central University and the University of Minnesota. Vast difference. Here's some of the things that we carry in our heart that we put a high premium on. Here's four, uh, three things real fast. Number one, never forget the four most important words in leadership is what? Let there be light. Let there be light. Why is that critical? Because when there's light, there's life. And you have to position yourself in leadership beneath light. You can always find darkness in which you kind of escape the examination of your life. But if you want to flourish and grow, and I've told you this illustration, I use it every year. Little kid, I ran all, we moved 27 times. I'd move to a new little apartment. I'd run out in the woods up in the Northwest and I'd find a rock that I assumed had never been moved. I was going to be the first human being to ever roll this rock. I, you had to kind of make up games to make yourself significant when you're a kid with, with very little toys. So I'd roll the rock and I found the same thing under every rock. I found nothing was alive under the rock. It was damp and it was just mud. Around the rock was brilliant green grass. I grew up in the Northwest, lots of rain, lots of weeds. But beneath the rock, it was dead. And when I would roll the rock, the light would hit that spot for the first time. And you'd see a couple spiders running for cover, a little potato bug running for cover, maybe a worm. Stuff that grows in the darkness, friends. Man, it's scattered for more darkness. I would come back to that spot two weeks later, because again, I was the first human being in the history of the world to roll this rock. Look at me. And I found little sprigs of green grass growing for the first time in that spot, because light hit it. And where there's light, there's life. Where there's darkness, there will always be death, friends. And so let there be light is a mentality of leadership, which means you can examine me. I'm going to live in the light. I'm going to uh, lead in the light. Let there be light. One of the most awkward things in the world is seeing somebody stand in front of a crowd trying to be transparent when they're hiding a secret. 
it's like, dude, that ain't working. You know, you're trying to tell a story of the truth, but you know you're lying to us over here. Let there be light. Here's the second thing. Going first is entirely different than being first. Going first is entirely different than trying to be first. In leadership, kingdom leadership, we have to initiate. We have to go first. We've got to serve first. Um, when I was a brand new youth pastor, man, I learned a brutal lesson. I didn't know anything about leadership. I just had charismatic gifts and I got to become a youth pastor because no one else wanted the job. And I could entertain some junior hires when I was 19 years old. So they, they gave me the job. We have a leaders meeting about a month or two into it. I have an intern that's a friend of mine from the college I was attending. And we, this, our, our administrative assistant put together this big uh, Sunday afternoon banquet, this big thing or this potluck thing we were doing and we were all had my leaders there my 20 leaders and so she had made ham and mashed potatoes and just the whole thing this ham was we were starving it was after church so I prayed and I was kind of near the table so I went first and I grabbed a big fork and man I stabbed that stack of ham like like a harpoon man go and I pulled it up and that Big old two pieces of ham are coming up and just flopping like this. Just, just like, look at that big old thing, shaking it off on my plate. Eat, go back for seconds. The next day on Monday, that intern, my friend of mine from Bible school, he came to me and he said, can I talk to you? I said, yeah. He goes, that was something else what you did yesterday. I said, well, what I do? I led the leaders meeting. He said, no, man. When we prayed, you went first. Huh? He said, not only did you go first, dude, you drove that fork through that plate of ham like, like you were the only person eating at the lunch. And it, he says, it was, he said it was gross to watch. That's when I knew I was no longer working at Walmart. That this other thing I was in would be a completely different type of examine. He was totally right, totally selfish, eating the best for myself. And nobody had ever pointed that out to me in my life till my brother Eddie Rents pointed that out. It changed me at 20. I was so humiliated, so embarrassed at what I'd done, so clueless at what I had done. It took somebody to look me right in the eye and say, do you know how awful that looked? You're the youth pastor and you're going first. First of all, you were first. You should have been last. And then you should have took a smaller portion, dude. You took like half the plate. To this day, Eddie and I, we're both, you know, older. We talk about that scene all the time. Because going first, meaning sacrificial firstness, not selfish firstness, it's different than trying to always be first. I got to finish first. I got to prove something. So just remember, going first is our responsibility, but not trying to be first uh, as a Christian leader. Just the last one real quick. You know that spreading division starts with spreading dissatisfaction? If you spread dissatisfaction, you have planted the seeds for division. Most people don't see themselves as a divisive person. Are you divisive? I'm not divisive. But I, I do communicate dissatisfaction a lot in my life. That's how all division starts. So don't build a reputation for always spreading disappointment, always being dissatisfied. It's how division forms. Okay, let's go here to uh, two passages of scripture. First one's Isaiah 5:21. It says, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. 
Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. What's that verse mean and how does it relate to Psalms chapter two? And how does this relate to why is everybody so angry right now? And I mean everybody. Why is everybody so entrenched and turned on each other and cutting each other off at a level that is frankly shocking and feels irreversible? Why is everybody behaving this way? What's the relationship between anger and what the Bible calls vanity? And why is that the real trigger for what's happening? Isaiah chapter five, verse 21 says, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and clever in their own sight. What's it mean to be clever in your own sight? There's a thin line or what I call a short hop between the clever and the corrupt. Now, being clever is not a compliment. Like, oh man, aren't you clever? In this context, clever is not a compliment. Clever is a derogatory, it's an indictment of the scripture against people who think in their own eyes that they are wise or clever. That line between clever and corrupt is this. The clever leader, I think, has four tendencies. Number one, they're very skillful at compromise. They're very good at it. They're highly skilled. They know the timing. They know how to, how to pull it off and never really be seen doing it. The clever are very skilled at compromise. Secondly, they look for the shadows and the shortcuts. They're always looking to operate kind of in a shadowy space and always looking for the shortcuts in life or the shortcuts to whatever their aim or ambition is. When I first took my job, an old guy said, listen, you got to learn the tools of the trade, not the tricks of the trade. You, you don't get to do the tricks until you know the tools. And sometimes we just want to jump to the tricks and never learn the tools of what we're doing. I think the clever leader operates in the shadows and shortcuts. The third trait is a clever person, they have an explanation for everything. Catch them, corner them, they got an explanation for it. They never simply say, man, I'm sorry. I'm around clever people. I can spot it because no matter what we're talking about, they got an explanation for it. Not like just being a know-it-all, but they're always, they just have this way of always getting themselves out of every situation with another explanation. I think a clever person also has an insatiable appetite for looking impressive. We always want to look impressive. I don't care what happens as long as people think that I am impressive. I think that kind of cleverness, the Bible says, that's not a compliment to be clever. It says, woe are those who are wise in their own eyes and those that are clever. Isaiah 521. So when it says clever, John Gill, who is a commentator, he has a great line. That word there indicates the craft of calling things by their wrong names. It's that skill of being able to call something by the wrong name. And we're gonna come back to this because that's exactly the free fall of this society right now. We're calling things that have been named by new names. So a clever person, clever leader, clever whatever, is a person who loves to call things by their wrong names. This is exactly what the Pharisees were indicted for by Jesus in John chapter nine. 
The Pharisees had just seen a miracle of blind eyes opening, and they were trying to figure out how somebody so sinful could be set free with healing. And Jesus told them that they were just as blind. <coughs> and the Pharisees said this, says, does thou teach us? Are we blind also? Asking Jesus, you think we, we can't see? In other words, the Pharisees were saying to Jesus, we can see for ourselves there, Jesus. We don't need you to help us see. This is the clever person. So this whole woe to the clever, woe to those who change the names of things that God has named, woe to those who always have an explanation, woe to those who uh, are so prideful that they don't uh, believe Jesus needs to help them see. That's the clever. Now let's relate that to Psalms chapter two. Put the verse up here if you can. It says Psalms chapter two, one through 12 says, why have the nations created a commotion? Most translations say, why are the nations? Why do the heathen rage? Why do the heathen rage? The word there is a violent commotion. Why do the heathen rage and uproar? Why are the people continually dwelling upon what is pointless? Or in many translations, why do they imagine vain things? Why are they using all their brain power, their God-given intellect, their talent, just to create pointless destinations of the mind? So I, well, we'll come back to that. The kings of the earth, the kings of the earth are setting themselves and the rulers have seated themselves close together against the Lord and against his Messiah, Jesus. So the kings and the rulers have set themselves against God and against Jesus, saying, let us tear apart their manacles or their restraints and let us cast away from us their robes. So the kings and the rulers of the planet, friends, it's not your neighbor that is assaulting Christianity right now. It's the kings and the rulers. Now, why, why is everybody so upset? First of all, because everybody's imagining pointless things right now. Think how much of our time is frittered, squandered on pointless things. I did it yesterday. I timed myself. I go, I just spent 17 minutes on reels with my thumb going up on TikTok looking at these stupid dance moves for 17 stupid minutes. I was gonna to try to do one for you today, but I'm not gonna do it. <laughs> not gonna do it. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be something? Mrs. H and I showed, no, no, no. We're live streaming right now. I got, I got loved ones, maybe grandchildren watching. <coughs> Pointless, frivolous, squandering of, of, our, of our time. He says, the kings and the rulers have set themselves because of vain imaginations against the Lord. The reason we are feeling this sense of powerlessness and hopelessness is because we feel the systems, from education to government to entertainment, the systems, the rulers and the kings, it's not your neighbor. The Bible says our greatest adversary friend is gonna be rulers and kings against his kingdom. This is why I feel so suffocating right now, because we don't know what to do when the rulers and the kings rage against the Lord that we love and the Christ that we serve. 
we suddenly feel this intensity, this enlargement, this, this force of darkness coming against the things that we hold precious. And, <clears throat> and what they're seeking to do, important to see, is they go, can you go back one slide, please? Let us tear apart their manacles. What's a manacle? It's a restraint. It's a boundary. And let us cast away their ropes. See, the world right now looks at Christianity as a humongous system of restraints and ropes. They look at our faith. Like, you're not going to put that restraint on me. You're not going to put that rope around me. You're not going to have a boundary around me. So the kings and the systems and the rulers, from government to education, because whatever timetable we are in the, to heading toward the return of the Lord, the lovelessness and the lawlessness increases. And so what they do is they attack what they perceive to be the restraints and the ropes. You can't think that way about life itself. You can't say life begins at conception even though the Bible is clear. You can't say that. I'm not gonna live by that restraint. You're not gonna put that kind of rope around me about marriage. You can't put a rope like that around our society. So they're raging in response. Here we go real quick. Next verse. We got four minutes. The one who sits in the heavens is laughing. The Lord is mocking them. Then he spoke to them in his anger and in his wrath, he terrifies them. But as for me, I have set my king upon Zion, my holy hill. I will declare the decree. The Lord has said to me, you are my son. I myself this day have begotten you. So this is a conversation that the writer is giving about God speaking to his own creation and his own son. I have decreed that you are the son of God and I've set you in that place of authority and salvation. Ask of me and I will give the nations as your inheritance and as, you, and as your property the ends of the earth. You will break them with a rod of iron like the vessel of a potter, you will shatter them. Next slide. Now therefore, O kings, act prudently, right. Really, truly, you think right now any king is gonna correct themselves in this country? You think anybody's gonna act prudently that's in authority in this nation? If I see it, I'll stand and applaud, but I certainly have zero expectation that a king and a ruler is gonna act prudently. Or have we had any? These are powerful, powerful clues as to why we feel the anger that we feel in our globe right now. People are pursuing the pointless. Rulers and kings, not your neighbor, rulers and kings have set themselves against the Lord you love and the kingdom that you hold precious and dear. So where's the hope in this? Here we go, real fast, I got two minutes. So it says, now therefore, O kings, act prudently Allow yourselves to be corrected right. What hope do you have of a president of any party, a politician of any party, asking the Lord to correct them? Zero. There's going to be, I don't see them acting prudently. So this collision and this, this friction is the generation that you're called to right now. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to act? Put the last slide, if you will. This is the wrap slide. Matter of fact, we can stand up right here. So I call this the clever kings. The clever kings. Again, why do, 
Why are the heathen raging right now? Why is everybody going ballistic? Why are people imagining, spending all of their time imagining pointless, frivolous, stupid things that have no redemptive meaning, that have become dominant parts of our life, not peripheral little leisures, but dominant portions of our day are just immersed into the pointless. So the clever kings that are out there right now in our world, all over this planet, friends, the clever kings, they're the stewards of the system, the stewards of politics, money, education, Hollywood. All these clever kings are the stewards of all the systems that we have got to interact with. Scripture was clear that they love to mock Christian boundaries. Remember it says, hey, we're going to tear off your manacles, which is a fancy word for a restraint. We view what you represent in an Old Testament context, you bunch of Israelites with the law. You're not going to put those restraints on me. You're not going to put your stupid ropes around me. That's how we view you. So the kings of the earth are raging against the idea that the boundaries of the kingdom apply to them. And they have to be held accountable to the boundaries of the kingdom over their dead bodies. So they said, we're going to rip, rip off your restraints and we're going we're to rip off your ropes. That's what we're going to do to you. We're going to enslave you then, but we're going to tear away the restraints that you're placing on this world through your message of the kingdom. That was their perception. So they, they mocked the boundaries they perceive as restraints and the ropes of Christianity. They seek to rename what God has already named. Let would be very clear, NCU. I got two boys that are going to kindergarten. I just talked to a parent. Their kindergartner came home from a public school asking if he was a boy or a girl in kindergarten because the teachers are evangelizing this idea. I completely reject that. That's the kings of this earth seeking, seeking, seeking to obliterate the restraints and the teachings of scripture. Do not buy into it. They, they see it as a rope. Some kindergartner truly, you're truly asking, hey, am I a boy today or a girl today? Who's feeding them that? It used to be some stranger would sneak onto the playground and feed the kids drugs. Now it's being delivered to them by the teacher in that classroom. That's why we need to raise up a godly generation of public school teachers through North Central University to be missionaries of the public school system. <laughs> Lastly, they simply want your confidence in the word of God to be destroyed. Why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? Because they're after your confidence. They want you to be hesitant, doubtful, scared, trembling. Do I really believe this? What if I'm the only one in the room saying it? What if I'm rejected? All of that's been predicted. It's all going to happen. That's why we need the power of the Holy Spirit so we can withstand and be found faithful in this generation. Man, I'm, I'm 59. I'm not 19 anymore. You are. 
You got this whole thing in front of you right now. But God put you here. He chose you. He's going to empower you. He's going to help you to be dynamic in this generation. I believe that with all my heart. Let's pray here together. Father, we thank you for this day, Jesus, for your goodness in our life, God. Thank you for great worship today, God. Lord, we pray today that our lives would be marked by let there be light. Jesus, that we would be committed, God, to being servants, Lord, and being sacrificial and intentional and and going first without the need to be first. Father, help us to spread faith and not dissatisfaction, disappointments. Lord, I don't want to be an instrument of division ever in my hometown, this school, my family, a stranger. Keep my lips full of your word, Jesus. So, Father, I commit today, I don't see your word as a restraint or a rope, Lord. Lord, I see it as the leading of the Spirit to a flourishing life that can be multiplied. Father, help me not to be a clever Christian. Help me not to be a clever Christian, God. Be different. We just thank you for this beautiful chapel day. God bless tomorrow with Buddy here. God, keep our campus on fire in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. Thanks for coming to chapel today.